focus on headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, joining us in the studio, we have our usual Wednesday reporters in Handan and Yoon Hae-jung joining us in the studio. Guys, welcome back. Good evening. Good evening to you guys. We're going to start things off, of course, as we mentioned and briefly in yesterday's program, uh, the passing of President Yoon sung yars father, uh, who is an honorary professor at Yonsei University, Yoon Gi-jung. Uh, Three-day mourning period is being conducted over in Seoul here. Uh, we had top politicians, uh, leadership of both the ruling and opposition parties uh, visiting to pay their respects here. Don, are you going to start us off? Let's get the latest on that. Right. President Yoon greeted visitors at the memorial altar at Severance Hospital in western Seoul from Tuesday evening with First Lady Kim Gun-hee. Although the presidential office said that President Yoon formally declined to accept visitors and flowers, Korea's top politicians, former presidents and political heavyweights, as well as the leaders of of both sides of the political aisle, all rushed to the altar to pay their respects. This marks the first time for a sitting Korean president to see father's death while in office. Much attention was, of course, drawn to the leader of the main opposition Democratic Party, Lee Jae-myung's visit and his handshake with President Yoon. Lee relayed brief words of condolences and President Yoon thanked him for coming despite his busy schedule. Along with Lee, DP floor leader Park Kwang-on, Secretary General Cho Jong-sik and Chief Policymaker Kim Min-seok were among the members from the opposition party who extended their respects. From the ruling People Power Party, Chairman Kim Gi-hun, floor leader Yoon Jae-ok, Chief Policymaker Park Dae-chul and Secretary General Lee Chol-gyu were there to offer condolences. The funeral provided a rare chance for the leadership of both parties to get together, giving a brief pause to the intense confrontations over a pile of issues, uh, such as President Yoon's National Liberation Day speech that sparked quite a loud controversy, and the state audit into the poor organization of the World Scout Jamboree. Meanwhile, a relay of visits by cabinet members and top government officials continued, including Prime Minister Han Dok-su, Finance Chief Chu Kyung-ho, Foreign Minister Park Jin, National Security Advisor Cho Tae-yong, and many others. Seoul Mayor Oh Se-hun and former UN Secretary General Pan Ki-moon were also there. Former President Lee Myung-bak paid a visit, while former Presidents Moon Jae-in and Park Geun-hye sent condolence flowers. Former President uh, Moon reportedly told the presidential office that he hopes President Yoon uh, wouldn't be too heartbroken, knowing that uh, his love for his father was very deep. Uh, meanwhile, the North Korean regime, which sent condolences and flowers to former President Moon when his mother passed away while in office, remains silent. According to presidential spokesperson Kim Eun-hye, President Yoon decided to hold a family funeral instead of a state funeral in efforts to leave no vacuum in state affairs. President Yoon will go ahead with a trilateral summit with leaders of the U.S. and Japan this week as planned. He will depart for Washington tomorrow after wrapping up the funeral. 
I did not know that you could have a state funeral for the parent of a president. Uh, but nevertheless, this is one of those rare moments once again. I think people uh, can set aside their political differences and, uh, of course, uh, send condolences. But it is not surprising with uh, North Korea. Obviously, they're not going to be sending any sort of uh, messages of condolence. The only reason why a message of condolence was sent during the former president uh, Moon Jae-in's uh, mother's passing is because, of course, despite uh, the lack of dialogue, after the Hanoi summit, there was a brief moment when I think the two leaders uh, shared some visions of peace on the Korean peninsula. Uh, but interesting here, we do know that, and I'm sure that President Yoon's father had a uh, profound impact on shaping uh, the South Korean president that we see and know today. Uh, Hejong, do tell us uh, who he was uh, as, of course, not only was a uh, an honorary professor at Yonsei University, but overall, uh, who he was to President Yoon. Sure, Yoon Ki-jung, a noted economist, professor, and father of President Yoon Seok-yeol, passed away Tuesday at the age of 92. Late Yoon had been admitted to the Seoul National University Hospital, and a three-day funeral will be held at Seoul Severance Hospital, as Tan mentioned. Now, according to the presidential office, President Yoon went directly to the hospital to be by his father's side during his final moments, right after delivering a speech marking the nation's 70 8th Liberation Day. And for his father's last words, he thanked his son for growing up well. The late Yoon was born in Nunsan, South Chungcheong Province, which President Yoon Seok-yeol considers to be his real hometown, calling himself the son of South Chungcheong Province, although he was actually born in Seoul. And an economics graduate of Yonsei University, Professor Yoon dedicated his career to teaching applied statistics, and he was a renowned expert in studying economic inequality using statistical methods. Now, in the past, President Yoon said in a media interview during his election campaign that his father was his number one mentor. It was at the recommendation of his father that President Yoon decided to major in law at Seoul National University. Yoon also picked Milton Friedman's Free to Choose as the book that had the most influence on him, which was a gift given by his father. So his father's teachings were fundamental to the national vision of a private-led and government-supported liberal democratic market economy and a global pivotal state contributing to freedom, peace, and prosperity. Meanwhile, as Tan mentioned, President Yoon is still expected to hold a tri trilateral summit at Camp David on Friday as scheduled. However, his departure time may be subject to change based on funeral proceedings. Yeah, again, I believe he was supposed to uh, depart a bit earlier, but uh, because of this uh, three-day mourning period, he is going to leave as uh, soon as possible. But once uh, everything is done and over with, once again, uh, condolences uh, to President Yoon Sung Yar. It should really be a uh, really a heartbreaking time for him at this time. Not to mention, being that as a president, there's a whole lot of pressure and burden. Uh, also, a huge. Uh, you know, a trilateral summit uh, that's in store later this week. And so uh, we're hoping for the best there. Let's now move on to the aftermath of the World Scout Jamboree fiasco. Uh, the questioning session was due to be held today, this at the National Assembly, but uh, the session fell through as the two rival parties butted heads over summoning North Chola prov uh, Provincial Governor Kim Gwang-young. Uh, Tan, what exactly happened here? 
Well, the questioning session convened by a parliamentary committee on public administration and security collapsed in just 26 minutes as the ruling People Power Party boycotted the session over North Chola Governor Kim Guan-yong's absence. The ruling party strongly believes that Governor Kim is the one mainly responsible for the Jamboree Day buckle and so refused to take part in the questioning session without Kim in attendance. None of the PPP members showed up except for a senior member of the committee, Iman Hee, who harshly criticized the main opposition Democratic Party for shielding Governor Kim. Lee questioned DP members, who is responsible for the poor infrastructures and operations of the major global event, if not the executive of the Jamboree's organizing committee, referring to Governor Kim. Lee went on to say that putting the blame on Interior Minister Lee Sang-min would be reckoned unacceptable for most Korean people. Interior Minister Lee Sang-min and North Chungcheong Province Governor Kim Yong-hwan, who were initially set to appear for the questioning on the Jamboree, the Cheongju Underground Pass flooding last month, among other related issues, were also absent today after news got out that North Chola Governor Kim wouldn't be attending. The main opposition DP underscoring that today's session was agreed upon by both parties last month attacked the ruling PPP for boycotting the session and attempting to evade government responsibility over the jamboree. Senior committee member Kang Byung-won of the DP warned that Minister Lee Sang-min's absence clearly violates the Constitution and the National Assembly law and will be met with consequences. So the ruling party is putting the blame on uh, North Chola Governor Kim Guan-yong, demanding that he be summoned for the questioning session as well, while the opposition uh, is pointing at Minister Lee Sang-min to hold him accountable for the poor hosting of the World Scout Jamboree. Uh, so it looks like a long, bumpy road ahead until the final verdict is out. But um, as multiple politicians, ministries and institutions, including the, the Ministry of Gender Equality and Family, share unclear boundaries of responsibilities of hosting the event. That's right. And I believe uh, the Minister of Gender Equality and Family is still uh, mum on answering any of these questions. And so we knew that once the World Scout Jamboree was done and over with, there was going to be a whole lot of political wrangling, both sides really just going after each other to find out uh, who's to blame. But the fact of the matter is, I think there's a lot of parties uh, to blame with this one, whether it be the uh, Chala province uh, governor uh, or even some of the minister ministers that were involved as they were part of the organizing committee. But uh, hopefully uh, the rival parties can come together and find some answers to this. And the uh, state audit agency has launched preparations to get through the bottom of the Chambri debacle. Now, it's determined to comb through all related ministries and agencies from start to finish of the event. Tan, let's also get more on that. Right. The Board of Audit and Inspection announced today that it'll soon launch a full-scale on-site assessment upon the completion of internal procedures. While the agency's unit in charge of probing the Gender Equality Ministry will lead the preparations, the audit is expected to meticulously investigate all ministries and agencies related to the Jamboree, from venue selection in 2017 to preparations over the past six years, as well as event management through 
through the Jamboree's closing last week. It'll also analyze the North Tulla provincial government's decision to earmark 74% of over 100 billion won in state funds for committee operations and projects while designating the remainder for facilities, including toilets and shower booths. The provincial government is also suspected of taking advantage of the Jamboree as a means to secure funds for large-scale social overhead capital projects and related budgets. The ministries of uh, Gender Equality and Interior will be scrutinized for their inadequate management and oversight of the global gathering that brought over 40,000 scout members from more than 150 countries to South Korea. Uh, Nyan Ti says, I read on the South Korean Herald, uh, you're talking about the Korean Herald, uh, Korea Herald, uh, the governmental ministry in charge of the Jamboree event may be dissolved. Well, the thing is, there was a number of ministries that were kind of in on it together, right? You had the uh, the culture ministry, you had the gender ministry, <laughs> you also had the interior ministry, uh, who are overlooking all of this. All of this. But I, I can't, you can't. I don't think they're going to be dissolved. The ministry is going to be there. I don't know about the the gender ministry. That's been one of President Yoon Sung Yeol's kind of pledge to kind of get rid of the uh, the gender ministry. But uh, other than that, I don't, it's not that they're going to be dissolved. I think they've been calling for people, been calling for, uh, I guess, getting those who are responsible for. Uh, the debacle of the uh, the jamboree and it happens to be those three main uh, ministries that's involved but then of course uh, the PPP is now saying that it's you know, more than just the ministries themselves it's the North Chola Pro uh, province governor uh, who should take the fall for all this but I mean again it, it involves so many people and it's going to take months right now to find out who it is but of course both parties are just going to point fingers and blame each other and say that our, our people is not to blame it's it's your people and so it's, it's going to get ugly here. Uh, also so moving on, let's talk uh, foreign policy. It seems like President Yoon sung yeol has uh, set the stage for a possible breakthrough in cooperation and deterrence with the U.S. and Japan uh, this days ahead of the trilateral summit over at Camp David. Hejong, let's get the latest updates on that. All right. President Yoon sung yeol stressed that the world would never accept North Korea as a nuclear weapons power while opening the door to a possible breakthrough in cooperation on deterrence with the U.S. and Japan when leaders from the nations meet in a landmark summit later this week. In a written interview with Bloomberg News, President Yoon said he expects the summit with Prime Minister Fumio Kishida and President Joe Biden to lead to agreement on ways to enhance their capabilities to respond to the nuclear and missile threats from North Korea, and also added that the complete denuclearization of the regime is the international community's clear and consistent goal. Now, President Yoon was receptive to the possibility of separate consultations on deterrence among the three countries, like the one established by Washington and Tokyo in 2010, adding that discussions will be held on bolstering trilateral defense exercises. He called for a multinational push to make the North realize that there are consequences to its continuous illegal nuclear and missile development, and that such activity would only lead to further isolation and more severe crises. The president also added that the international community, including South Korea, the U.S. US and Japan will strictly and thoroughly enforce the UN Security Council sanctions against the North. Again, it is going to get interesting after the summit uh, over at uh, Camp David because, again, I, I raised the issue of 
the NCG being established ever since the, the Washington Declaration was issued after uh, the summit talks between President Yoon sung yeol and uh, President Joe Biden. There was always talks about whether or not Japan is eventually going to be added into that. And they were saying no, because it's part of the Washington Declaration between the leaders of the two countries that Japan would not be a part of it. But there was you know, consensus from some uh, pundits saying that they're probably going to form another sort of uh, NCG, another nuclear consultative group uh, with uh, Japan part of it. So uh, the big question, of course, is if that group is formed, what kind of impact that will have, uh, rather than just being symbolic. Uh, also, the top diplomats of South Korea, the U.S. and Japan holding their virtual talks, uh, setting the tone ahead of the big trilateral gathering of the three countries' leader. Tan, can you tell us what was discussed there? Sure. The virtual meeting was held uh, by South Korean Foreign Minister Park Jin, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, and Japanese Foreign Minister Yoshimasa Hayashi. The aim was to fine-tune details for the upcoming trilateral summit among the leaders of the three countries and also exchange views on key regional issues. The three sides agreed that the upcoming summit will mark an important milestone in further developing the three countries' trilateral cooperation and vowed continued efforts to boost ties. They also reaffirmed each country's airtight security cooperation against North Korea and promised to step up security ties to counter the North's rising nuclear and missile threats. They also touched upon a number of regional issues, including the ongoing war in Ukraine. Blinken sent condolences to President Yoon for his loss of his father, while Minister Park Jin expressed his deepest sympathy for the deadly wildfire in Hawaii that killed dozens and left homes and landmarks charred beyond recognition. After the virtual meeting, Blinken told reporters that the upcoming Biden-Yoon-Kishida summit will mark a new era of their trilateral cooperation, with the leader set to agree on ways to further institutionalize the framework seen as vital for peace and stability beyond Asia. He hinted that steps will include regularizing various high-level meetings. Noting that it'll be the first-ever standalone trilateral summit, he said their cooperation is critical to bringing peace to the region and to the world. So now the big question now, and of course we're going to be, once the uh, the trilateral summit over at Camp David is going to be done and over with uh, next week on our program, we're going to be connecting with a number of experts to talk about the results of the uh, the summit. But uh, as we sort of talked about, and, and the, the big criticism over even like the, the nuclear consultative group, right, uh, the NCG, was the fact that is it more symbolic than anything? What's being done? What are some of the key discussions being put in place to really help deter North Korea's uh, nuclear threats, right? Is the, the idea of maybe putting more uh, nuclear, uh, nu maybe nuclear arms in, in, on the Korean Peninsula and in South Korea? Is that being discussed? What happens if North Korea does end up uh, using uh, any kind of a nuclear weapons or uh, attacking South Korea, for instance? Are they going to have some kind of plan for that? None of this is being discussed yet as well. And so we've had a number of different discussions from the three sides ever since the improvement in ties between you know, South Korea and Japan. Uh, you had the US and South Korea, Japan always holding talks in regards to the deterrence of North Korea's continued nuclear threats and so forth. But what tangible uh, outcomes are there? So all of this is going to be quite uh, important here. 
maybe, maybe after the summit, uh, there might be some tangible results. But uh, it is going to be interesting. And the one thing that really stands out for me is President Yoon sung yeol again, stressing that the world will never accept North Korea as a nuclear weapons power, uh, because this is exactly what North Korea is pushing for right now. And uh, the consensus is that it is uh, after North Korea is finally recognized as a nuclear state that there might be some discussions in place uh, with the, all the relevant parties here. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, sticking with, I guess this is sort of related to North Korea, there was uh, the rare incident of an active U.S. soldier uh, crossing the inter-Korean border. Uh, this while he was you know, apparently in a group of tours uh, at the Joint Security Area at Panmunjom. Uh, there was no little to no information as to the real whereabouts. We knew that he was in North Korea, Travis King, uh, but his well-being or anything in regards to Travis King uh, has been relatively silent, at least uh, from North Korea. But uh, today we had North Korea saying that uh, Travis King admitted that he illegally intruded due to inhumane maltreatment and racial discrimination within the U.S. Uh, Army. Uh, of course, you're going to put it this way. And uh, also expressed his willingness to seek refuge in North Korea or in a third country. Hejong, interesting stuff here. Fill us in on this. Right. Now, this marks North Korea's first public confirmation on the status of Private Travis King, who crossed the military demarcation line into the north during a tour to the Joint Security Area in the DMZ on July 18th. Now, according to North's official Korean Central News Agency, Travis King confessed that he had decided to come over to the DPRK as he harbored ill feelings against mistreatment and discrimination within the U.S. Army, adding that he also expressed his willingness to seek refuge in the DPRK or a third country, stating that he was disillusioned at the unequal American society. The report did not provide any further details about his fate, including his health condition or whether North Korea planned to accept him as a refugee or send him along to a third country. North Korea said that its investigation was continuing, so it is unlikely that he will be released anytime soon. And in response, the U.S. Department of Defense said that the alleged comments by King cannot be verified and that the department's priority is bringing private King back home. A Pentagon spokesperson said that they remain focused on a safe return and that the department's priority is to bring him back home and that they are working through all available channels to achieve that outcome. Now, previously, U.S. officials have said King willfully crossed the military demarcation line without authorization and that the North has not made any substantive responses to its inquiries over his status. And the U.S.-led U.N. command, which oversees activities in the DMZ earlier, said it is working with its North Korean counterparts to resolve the incident, but has declined to provide any details. Yeah, I'm almost certain that uh, this comment made by North Korea were, uh, you know, he was not happy with the inhumane maltreatment and racial discrimination within the U.S. is probably... Uh, something that, that was not said by Travis King. But it's interesting that they raised the whole racial discrimination uh, issue because uh, when the United States were, again, uh, kind of slamming North Korea's human rights issues, uh, one of the things that North Korea kind of came out and said was, 
you guys are talking about human rights stuff. You guys have police beating black people, and uh, and uh, you have police brutality. There's racism going on, and you guys are talking about human rights. At least we're not racist. And so now, of course, they're going to bring up uh, racism here, which, again, we don't know if this is the official statement from Travis King. Previously, I was trying to look for uh, the the late uh, Otto Warmbier's uh, mm. speech that he made, right, the, the confession speech uh, in front of the uh, the North Korean media, because even with, like, Kenneth Bay, uh, the, the Korean American who was uh, detained mm-hmm. over in uh, North Korea before. They're saying that a lot of the speeches, they're all scripted and they're made, written by the North Koreans uh, and to make it look like North Korea is actually, you know, rightfully detaining them <laughs> and all sorts of stuff. So again, all the stuff about the Travis team, we don't know. Uh, but also, what should we expect, I guess, in terms of Private King's fate, right? Because like in the past, You'd had North Koreans uh, in North Korea accept American soldiers who arrived in North Korea as political defectors. Uh, you had them uh, living there. They started families. Some of them became celebrities coming out as uh, actors. We talked about, uh, for example, uh, uh, James Dresnock is a, a very famous name. So do we have any, I guess, ideas what's going to happen to Private King? Well, for civilian Americans accused of illegal entry, they were held in detention and sometimes released and expelled or prosecuted and sentenced to hard labor and used as bargaining chips in negotiations with Washington, so we'll have to see. And given that North Korea has cited inequality and racism as reasons for King's voluntary defection, it is possible that North could use him to criticize the U.S. for its human rights issues, like you've mentioned, and may use such American soldiers as propaganda tools against the United States. Absolutely. They're going to have a (laughs) blast with this stuff. They're going to say, oh my goodness, how bad is it over in the United States that you have an American soldier uh, that wants to defect and come to North Korea? North Korea must be a great... And they're also going to use this as a propaganda for North Korean citizens as well. Ladies and gentlemen, look, you guys think life is bad here. It's actually great because in America, it's even worse to the point that we have an American who fled to North Korea and he's probably going to get proper treatment. Who knows? And I think that's what Private King was kind of looking forward to. He knew that he was going to be dishonorably discharged. Uh, he's probably going to not have a, a clean cut career uh, since you know he's been in mm-hmm. South Korean prison and stuff like that. And he's seen and read about stories of people like James Dresnock in the past. And so maybe he's thinking about a second life in North Korea where he probably is going to be treated a bit ba- better, I guess, than he would be if he went back over to his home state of Texas. But interesting stuff there. Uh, let's move on here. Uh, we had South Korea made a fighter jets uh, successfully making their debut over in Europe, uh, flying across the skies of Warsaw, marking the Polish Armed Forces Day. Uh, Town, let's get the details of this. The FA-50 light fighters produced by South Korea's Seoul military aircraft manufacturer, the Korea Aerospace Industries, successfully made their historic debut in Europe, opening up a new chapter for Korea's aircraft manufacturing industry. Marking the Polish Armed Forces Day on August 15th, the first two FA-50GF jets that were recently delivered to the Polish Air Force had taken off from Minsk Mazowiecki Air Base, flying impressively over the skies of Warsaw. In a significant maneuver, the aircraft flew in formation with Poland's MiG-29 fighter jet before flawlessly transitioning as the MiG left the formation, underlining the FA-50's adaptability and prowess. 
Airbus. The FA50GF, after its triumphant initial flight in Poland, is set to feature at the Radom Air Show from August 26th to 27th, where it'll be unveiled to the Polish public for the first time. Two more units, FA50GF number three and four, will be additionally delivered next month with a total of 12 aircraft expected by the end of this year. Korea Airspace Industries, or CHI for short, confirms that of the 48 aircraft contracted by Poland, 36 will meet specific Polish Air Force requirements and will be the enhanced FA-50PL version scheduled for delivery from late 2025 through 2028. Kai CEO Kang Gu-yong said that having been a recipient of foreign fighter jet aid in the past, South Korea has now rewritten its aviation narrative, boasting its presence in the European market that has largely been dominated by the U.S., French and Italian aviation companies. He further highlighted Kai's global footprint, stating the agency's global post-support capability oversees more than 660 aircraft, and it's committed to reinforcing the Polish Air Force's aerial dominance. Polish President Andrzej Duda, emphasizing that security is the cornerstone of any nation, said the Polish military will possess an unmatched and strong defense capability through modernization with the latest weapon systems. Let's move on here. We're going to get you the latest now update uh, with the devastating wildfire that uh, swept across Maui. Uh, We are getting the latest death tolls here. It is going to increase further. Uh, The latest account we have from the Maui County officials is that the death toll uh, has now risen to at least 106. Uh, Hejong, let's get the latest situation over in Hawaii. Right. A week after the flames started sweeping through parts of the Hawaiian island, the update on the death toll up from 99 a day before is now 106, with authorities predicting predicting the death toll could approach 200, and authorities said only five of the dead have been identified. Authorities have gone through about a third of the search area as of Tuesday, and they expect to complete 85 to 90 percent of the search by end of the week. But with so much still left to search, the death toll could still double or even triple in the next 10 days, according to Hawaiian Governor Josh Green. But the intense flames that engulfed Lahaina at the time of the fire have left the bodies largely burnt, making search and identification difficult. So authorities are stressing that family members and relatives looking for the missing should visit the authorities' Family Assistance Center for Missing Persons to provide DNA samples. And with almost all of the internet and communication services being restored, reports of missing persons are decreasing. Now, so far, authorities have not officially released the number of missing people, saying many have been unreachable due to phone and internet outages and are using the term unaccounted instead of missing. And as of late Monday local time, Maui County officials said that 85% of the wildfires were contained in the west coast of Lahaina and 
the fire in the upcountry town of Kula was um, the fire was 65% contained, with hot spots in hard-to-reach places making it difficult to fully contain the blaze. Governor Josh Green said about 500 of the Lahaina evacuees who lost their homes have moved into vacant hotels on the island, and added that he is working with the short-term rental industry like Airbnb to make vacant homes available to survivors. Green said he expects survivors to need temporary housing for at least 36 weeks. And according to FEMA, more than 3,000 people have registered as being affected by the wildfires to receive federal assistance. Yeah, the other issue that's been raised over in uh, Lahaina is that uh, the crime rate is shooting up, uh, shooting up. And so uh, they're saying that when it's, it's nighttime, there's a lot of looting that's going on. There's a lot of pillaging that's going on. There's a lot of people robbing people at gunpoint. And uh, they're saying, uh, some of the locals were saying it's due to just the lack of police presence and the military presence uh, at uh, nighttime so it's uh, really is unfortunate there and uh hawaiian governor uh josh green i believe he said that uh, he's expecting maybe the death toll to rise to double or triple uh that of the figure that we're seeing right now so we'll keep a close tab on that issue uh in the meantime power is back in most of brazil after a major blackout left much of the north and northeastern regions uh, without any electricity for nearly six hours uh don what's the latest on this right brazil's energy ministry says although some minor adjustments are needed in some cities electricity was back in most of brazil as of tuesday afternoon a mysterious blackout hit large parts of brazil during the busy commuting hours on Tuesday morning, which left people without power in at least 19 states of the country, according to local media. The outage was first reported at around 8.30 a.m. local time, causing a blackout in the north and northeast regions. The outage also affected public transportation. Passengers had to evacuate subway lines in major cities, including Sao Paulo, uh, Belo Horizonte, and Salvador. Traffic lights were out in other cities cities as well. Roraima, Brazil's northernmost state in the Amazon rainforest, which is not connected to the national power grid, was the only state not affected. Some 16,000 megawatts of power was brought down after an incident which was still being looked into, according to the uh, energy ministry. Mines and energy minister Alexandre Silveira has ordered an investigation into the cost Causes of the incident. While the ministry is yet to provide a cause for the failure, Brazil's government says after detecting a problem in the grid, authorities decided it was necessary to shut down the system to avoid a complete collapse. According to a 2021 report from the U.S. Department of Commerce, Brazil has a, to- uh, a total installed capacity of around 180 gigawatts of power. The country's grid is mostly powered by renewable energy sources such as hydropower. Rounding things out here, Country Garden. This is a Chinese real estate giant that's going through a massive debt crisis and uh, actually worsened on Monday after its onshore bonds were suspended. Uh, Hejung, tell us what happened there. Well, Country Garden, one of China's top property developers, suspended trading in 11 of its onshore bonds on Monday, adding to the speculation that the company may be preparing to restructure its debt as it struggles to raise enough cash in time to avoid default. This grim assessment led to the company's stock tumbling 18% to a record low in Hong Kong trading. 
Country Garden has built over 3,000 housing projects and reported revenue of about $60 billion in 2022. But now it is facing billions of dollars in losses and $200 billion in unpaid bills. So how did this happen? Well, like other big private developers, Country Garden kept borrowing and often borrowed more to pay back its loans, operating on the assumption that as long as it continued to expand, it could keep repaying its debt. But the bills grew so big that China's top leader Xi Jinping ordered that homes should be for living, not for speculation, fearing that the debt would threaten the broader financial system. So in 2020, the government cracked down by limiting the ability of real estate companies to raise money and prompting series of defaults. <coughs> A core pillar of China's economy, the real estate sector, has already seen tumbling sales, tight liquidity, and a series of developer defaults since late 2021, with China Evergrande Group, the world's most indebted developer, at the center of the debt crisis. But for China, the problem is much more bigger than one company because a default by a country garden would mean a string, string of collapses in the housing market. And the global market also remains jittery as the trouble in China's largest private property developer could have a chilling effect on home buyers and and financial institutions, further dampening the prospect of a near-term recovery in the sector and the broader economy. It's kind of interesting with the, the Chinese real estate thing, because in China, you can't actually own property, uh, which is why the Chinese, they like to buy property overseas, including here uh, in South Korea. But yeah, uh, we've kind of, uh, you know, stopped kind of looking at uh, China's Evergrande uh, group uh, crisis, but uh, this is uh, yet another one. Uh, I know we talked about a lot of these uh, very negative news. I want to kind of finish off with a, a nice, interesting piece of story that's been uh, making waves on our live YouTube streaming. Tan, uh, apparently one of our listeners, Corey Kade, <laughs> says, Tan looks like twice Nyan. Oh my God! <laughs> so You know what? I've actually heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank Thank you so much. You know, it feels really nice. I haven't heard, you know, a praise about my appearance in a long time. So thank you so much. I do agree. I do yeah. agree. I so could see the resemblance. I could definitely see the resemblance, and we want to kind of take it off on a light note here. Guys, thank you very much for your reports. Have a safe one. We'll see you guys again. Thank, thank you. you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Adidang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.